Hey, welcome! Thanks for tuning in! This is There's Something About Artbiz, a podcast where I discuss with experts and industry leaders about the many sides of the artbiz industry. I'm your host, Federico Biancullo. I'm an artbiz artist, founder of The Big Picture, blogger and content creator in the field of architectural representation. I'm on a journey to learn more on all things about artbiz, art direction, business, technology, you name it. And I would like you to be a part of this journey as well. Through these conversations, my hope is to bring light to not so obvious topics connected to our industry and help you grow as a professional, as an artist, and why not, as a human being as well. So please join me. Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode of There's Something About Artbiz. Greetings, folks, and welcome to another episode of There's Something About Artbase. Today, I'm really excited. It's a special episode for me because I have on the show one of the people that I look up to the most in the industry. He's Spanish, he's an art director and 3D artist as well, and he founded a world-famous architectural communication firm. His name is Victor Bonafonte. Victor is the co-founder of Beauty and the Beat, which was also coincidentally one of the first architectural visualization offices that used to put their personal work out in the wild. And these passion projects helped them gradually evolve and uh, pivot the firm towards new fields outside architectural visualization. And in our chat, we talk about this and a lot more of interesting stuff. We talk about his restlessness and his passion for trying out new things and how this passion pushed him indeed to develop a new cinematographic language for architectural animations with Landmark, which won in 2018 a CG Architect Award for the best non-commissioned film. We also discussed the importance of having the courage to bring one's own knowledge to the table with clients, his huge passion for movies, of course, what he absorbs from these movies in his creative process, and we also talk about our common passion, video games, which, in my opinion, are a very underappreciated products when it comes to art direction. But I think I said even too much, I don't want to spoil this conversation for you. So, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy my chat with Victor Bonafonte. As I told you, I'm really happy to have you here because Beauty and the Fit has been one of my inspiration for my work as well. I don't think people don't know what you do, but anyway, I would like you to introduce yourself and what you do to the audience. Okay, so my name is Victor Bonafonte and basically I'm I am a director nowadays. I'm art director and I'm this, the co-founder of uh, Beauty and the Beat, which is my, my company, which is like a, an architectural communication company. We, we don't like to get completely constrained to architecture. We're doing much stuff which is not 100% architecture nowadays. Uh, but yeah, I, I, we should say that majorly we're an architectural firm. And I'm the co-founder of that company, basically. You were an architect. I think you started when everything blew up in 2008. Is that correct? Yeah. I think it was later here in, in my company. The company I was working for as an architect, I worked there like, I think for 10 years or something like that. And eventually crisis came to Spain, but in my company, I don't know for what reason it came later on. And, uh, but when it came, it came, definitely. I was working like, I think like 10 years, 10 whole years as an architect, as a regular architect, sending projects and designing buildings and stuff like that. And then everything came so fast and I, I, I my boss like uh, fired me. Uh, no, no hard feelings because he's a really 
I, 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 I can only have good works, good words, sorry, about him. And that he managed to do another different, smaller company that was more involved in doing competitions. So I was always interested in the visual part of architecture from that time, and uh, it served me as a, you know, as a catapult to uh, a test tube for starting, you know, uh, doing my experiments with visuals that were really crappy, obviously, at that time. But it was my first steps into architectural illustration or whatever. You started almost 12 years ago then. How is it different for people who are starting today? Probably what you did would not be possible today. What do you think about that? It's a good question. To be honest, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I, could, I can tell what, I, what is inside my guts about things. Maybe people could say right now or nowadays it's more difficult because there are more people doing this or there are more... When I studied this, uh, there were also people, not so many maybe, but there were other kind of uh, difficulties that uh, maybe nowadays younger people like you, for example, or some other people, they, they don't have. At that time, obviously, there were internet. I'm not so old, but the thing is that nowadays you can find a good tutorial about everything you could desire, any platform, any renderer, any, uh, you know, uh, technique that at that time, yeah, there was a knowledge, but not so much knowledge. So what I'm trying to say is that each time frame has some difficulties, but I only believe in like hard work. And uh, if you are a hard worker, in the end, you're going to get it. I mean, so... In, in a certain way, it's a way of um, pumping up all the new generations, you know, uh, expectations. Because no matter how many people are doing or are what's your competence, I mean, it, it's a really, you, you have a lot of competitors. No matter about that, I mean, I don't care about that. In the end, if you are a hard worker, if you, if you want to learn, if you want to evolve, in the end, you're going to find something that's cool or decent for you. Yeah, and probably it means not just tutorials, also the possibilities are a bit different from a few years ago. I'm thinking about social network as well, not just YouTube tutorials, but also the content that we put out. Absolutely. But there's something else that came up in my mind thinking about the work that you did with Beauty and the Beat. I think you were one of the first that use personal work as a way to brand themselves. You make personal work part of the identity of your company. I remember the image of the month that you used to do. I probably used to do them. And of course, your most recent project, the, the feature films Landmark, Rebirth, Insomniac Waltz. Um, can you try to outline a bit the process that brought you to, to the feature films? So I think basically that came in a kind of an organic way. For me, as an art director of the studio at some point, it's like, okay, I consider myself nowadays an artist. And I, I also consider it's uh, an artist's uh, duty or commitment to always keep learning and never get, you know, stacked in the same thing or keep doing, you know, consistently day after day the same thing. Uh, I'm not a patient guy and uh, I need to, you know, try, test new things. On a, on a daily basis. So as far as I saw, it's like, okay, before starting a, an architectural uh, illustration or communication company, for me, it was like, oh, I, I would love to work with uh, this studio, which is like the most famous studio, and this other studio, which is the most famous studio, and this other one, that's my main illusion. I, I would love to be there and to do these uh, images, uh, such as these other studios, 
some uh, some great friends nowadays. People like you know uh, Mir Luxicon uh, at that time, you know, and nowadays really close friends. And and I wanted to do that uh, because they inspired me a lot. They they was like, okay, I I I have the feeling that we could drive towards that that way and work with these studios. And then uh, suddenly. I have to say that from the very first beginning in Beauty and the Beat, maybe we were lucky or maybe what we work on a portfolio previously or whatever paid dues. But the thing is that we started, we had the, 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 we were lucky to come with these big studios from minute, not one, but maybe minute five in our story. But the thing is that when you get to that point and you, and you achieve that and then you polish your skills and then you improve your skills and then you do better images, better films, whatever it is, than five years ago or seven years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it is, it comes a, a moment in which you say, okay, level up. For me, this, this is achieved. This part of the business is, is achieved. This goal is achieved, it's, it's accomplished. Where do I go now? Where do we go now? What do we do now? We have to do something different, no? So the images of the month was like the first uh, step for me because it was like I told the guys at the studio, the, uh, the people at the studio team is like, okay, let's do one thing. I mean, sometimes, I mean, it's always exciting working with architects, but at some point, and I think it's something that all of us could agree with this, at some point you are creatively free, but until some extent, okay? I understand it's part of the game. It's like one thing is doing a personal project and another thing is doing a project for other guy that has to also show those images to all the client and the other client to all the client. So it's a big chain and it's a really complex processes, uh, most likely in big projects. So I understand that, but I told the guys, I told the team, okay, why? what if we do something on our complete own. We don't have any obligation with any client, any constraint, and we do basically what the fuck we want to do <laughs> in a certain way. I mean, crude and, 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 and raw, but it's like that. It's like, I, I want to do an image month that it's purely us. And we are going to exercise our creative muscles. We are going to see things in a different way that maybe we, we would do if we would have a client there telling you things, telling where to go, or, you know, at least trying to, to, to have a communication in terms of our direction and be completely free. So that was all the intent behind uh, the image of the month. And in the end, it was, it was a good move because uh, I remember at that time that I, I don't want to be pretentious because I'm not saying that we invented that. Obviously, it's not, it's not like that. But at that point, I didn't see so many uh, images done on any other studios in this way. Absolutely. Uh, the first ones that I saw were from Beauty and the Beat. And Beauty and the Beat was one of the first, among the first offices popping out in my Facebook feed in that case, that were actually putting out for the general public images made for their own, you know, fun. Yeah. That's something that other offices picked up afterwards. That's why I wanted really to ask you this, because I remember that you made this, you made the image of the month, you made the images made for fun, a really strong statement about Beauty and the Beat. Yeah, because I believe in that. It's like, as I said, it's like, you're an artist and your duty is to uh, keep communicating things. You, you, 
I think it would be really boring if uh, we only measure our success as an artist just based on the number of clients we have, of the, the size of the projects we do. I mean, at some point, that's banal. It's like, uh, yeah, but that's not being an artist. <laughs> being an artist is, is struggling day by day. And, for example, uh, trying to drive to a different part of the of business or trying to pivot to another thing or try to express things in a different way with other techniques, other programs, other languages. That's being an artist. I'm going to ask you something a bit personal. You can avoid the answer if you wish. You mentioned that at a certain point you reached your goal. You And you also said something really important that it doesn't matter how many clients you have. It doesn't matter how big the projects you work on are. Is it something that was already clear to you when you started or something that you realized during the process and took you time to process? Sorry for the wordplay. No, I think I realized, obviously, during the time because time is the best teacher you can have. And it is like when you start a company or you start some in some media, whatever it is, it's like you want it all or... It's not that you want it all. It's like you want to show everybody that you can do things right and you can do things in a beautiful way and you can be a good artist. Uh, so all, everything you want to work or to collaborate with as many studios as possible, uh, big ones, small ones, because I also have to say that I enjoy a lot uh, collaborating with small studios. It comes a point with time that you realize what I want to do is to be happy with what I do. And I want to be inspired. And I want to to be empowered all days to do something that, you know, excites me. Because if I if I don't get any excitation of what I do day by day, it's going to be extremely boring. And I'm going to lose all my motivation. And I'm a man of motivation. If I don't feel myself motivated, uh, obviously, I'm not going to be able to reproduce a, a good piece of artwork whatever it is. Yeah, and I don't think so many artists actually stop to think about doing something fun to regenerate their mental energy somehow, because it's all a matter of mental energy. I can tell you because I'm I'm in a similar situation at times, I'm not inspired, I'm a bit drained from work. Anyway, we were talking about image of the month. After the image of the month, how did you come up to the idea of developing a new language for architectural animation? It's a language that actually it's very close to the language of feature films, of art direction made for features. Yeah, I think that came up with Landmark and uh, I love that project. Uh, it meant a lot to not only to me, but to the whole studio, I guess. And for me, it was a milestone in my kind of artistic path. At that point, we didn't do animation for architects because my thought on this was like, uh, I wasn't close to the usual architectural visualization language in terms of films, architectural movies. Yeah, when I think about movies in architectural visualization, the first thing that comes into my mind is those horrible walkthroughs in which you bash through a door of a building and you clip everything. So yeah, yeah. And, you're, and you're gonna puke because you yeah. feel you feel sick. Of, uh, because everything is really fast. And then also you see 3D humanoids, you know, moving like, you know, everything really fucked up. I, I, I never wanted to do that thing. And that is why for a long time we, we were in the shadows in terms of animation. I didn't, I, I wasn't motivated to do that because it was like, okay, doing an image 
with a client at sometimes could be challenging, at sometimes could be relaxed, and sometimes could be really hell. And when it's hell, at least the hell, it, it lasts one week, maybe. Uh, but when it's a movie, I don't want this to, to, to last for one month. Okay, and in the end also, the, the product is not what I think, what I imagine. So the thing was evolving as a natural evolution from image of the week. It was like, I told the guys, okay, guys, I have the idea of a movie. And it's going to be a movie that it's going to talk about architecture. It's going to talk about the environment. And it's going to talk about what I love in movies. And I'm going to try to mix all that together. And I would love that architects at least would consider in the future to try to do something uh, with a more creative vibe. If this serves as an example, or if this serves as a, as a guide or as a path, as a different path, as a detour, I would be more than happy that this would happen. And that way started Landmark. It was a really hard year for me because I, at the time of producing Landmark, I stepped out of uh, the production in the studio. At that time, I was doing production still because I like to do production uh, sometime. But I was more like doing art direction at that point and also uh, producing 100% Landmark and also doing a, a big VFX master at that point. So it was a really busy hell of a year. But in the end, I mean, it paid dues. It, 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 Landmark uh, was beyond my original expectations because the way it was uh, it was planned. I mean, I'm, I'm a long time movie lover. I love any kind of, of movie normally from, you know, big BFX films, from author films. And, and what I love about cinema is the language in cinema, which is completely and diagonally opposed to what we normally do in architectural I wouldn't call them films. It's like architectural animations. They are not films. They are animations. Something that is moving, but something that is moving is not necessarily a film. And uh, yeah, I wanted to do that. I wanted to try to instill. So, so for example, some of the shots were thought more as if it was a VFX film. So I, I, we used lots of projections. We, we used, I mean, it wasn't the, the typical approach to architectural film, which is like, okay, everything is 3D and, you know, we put the people like these humanoids or we do these kind of fly-throughs, never-ending fly-throughs. No, no, this is cinema. What, what we want to do is cinema, but applied to a building, which is the main, maybe the main a character along with the environment. About the environment, can you tell me what inspired you for that? Because in our pre-show talk, we mentioned Iceland. I love Iceland as a country. I love the landscape of Iceland. It's, it's ever-changing. You go with your car around the island and every 20 kilometers you see something different. Was that an inspiration for you? Which others were your inspiration sources for that particular project? I remember seeing it at the D2 2018 and I was wondering, wow, how, how did you come up with all this? What were the inspirations? I saw a lot of Iceland, of course, but I was curious about all the rest of it. Yeah, basically, I mean, I've always liked this kind of landscape. If I wouldn't be art directing also in my company, maybe I would be an environment artist because I love environments. I, I, I really, uh, I love it. It's the closest discipline in terms of uh, visual art closest to nature at some point. So I love environments and and before starting the project, I considered several places to, to maybe do this or that. And to be honest, Iceland was really a place of choice because 
there was so many contrasts, and at the same time, it, it served me to, you know, depict the movie in a really monochromatic kind of uh, thing, and not to not to get lost in too many color schemes, but something really direct and really raw. And I came into these landscapes, and also this. I think it's called Rainy's Fiara or something like that. I don't know in Icelandic how it's pronounced, but it's like a beach with, a, you know, this black kind of a soil and stuff like that. And, and I thought maybe this together with these, you know, fumaroles and, and with these green mountains without any trees, because I don't want trees in this particular film for production. But have you ever been actually to Iceland? No, 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 Never. no. no. I, I haven't been. It's, it's curious. I've been there last year before everything, everything happened, so I was really lucky I could get there. And I can tell you, you nailed it. Oh, you nailed you it, much. because Iceland has almost no trees. The beach yeah. that you mentioned, I was there. It's almost monochromatic. When yeah. there's mist, it's like, you know, shades of grey. That's it. Yeah, yeah, you have yeah. the black sand, you have the, the depth, you have this huge, you know, uh, rocks in the yeah. water. Yeah. You nailed that. And the green as well. I have to say it's a shame because, I mean, I've done Landmark and I've, later than, than that, I did Rebirth. And it's a shame because it's like there are two projects that are really Icelandic kind of uh, landscape. And, and I haven't been there still. It, honestly, I had the plan to go last year, but... Um, sorry, this year, but I think it's like this fucked up situation put an end to that plan momentarily. But definitely, I will eventually get there. I don't know when, but uh, I will. I will get there, obviously. But yeah, I mean, I gather like zillions of uh, references of photographs from places there and other places such as Scotland and stuff like that. And uh, in the end, that was uh, the final ingredients. <laughs> and what about the architecture? You went really full brutalist on that one, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm a long time fan of brutalism. And um, I wanted something really, really sculptural, something really uh, pure in terms of form. For several reasons. I mean, basically it's for a look depth. You know, it's like a look development of the film. I wanted something like that. There's a lot of inspirations in a lot of sci-fi movies, as we know, as Star Wars, Blade Runner, blah, blah. There's a lot of stuff like that. But yeah, I wanted something really brutal in terms of shape and also in terms of uh, size, no? And, and as an added element was that it had to be done in free time for the rest of the team. I was like 100% of, of my time that year in that production, but the people at the team, they weren't all that time because they were doing projects. So I needed something simple. I needed simplicity. I mean, simplicity was playing in our advantage, obviously. So, yeah, from a long time, I've been really fan of pluralism and, you know, the essentialism in terms of shape. One last question about Landmark, but this is in general can be applied to all your feature film projects. Uh, what do you actually take from movies, technically? You see a movie that you love. What do you apply then in your projects? I could apply anything. I mean, I love movies, as I said, and, and, and I could apply it from a framing, from the framing of a camera, uh, to the lens distortion of a shot, to the color correction of a film. Nowadays, for example, I'm amazed how many good, technically speaking, series you can see on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, whatever it is, and how many fucked up series are in terms of, uh, you know, a script or story or whatever it is. They are really bad ones, but at some point, I mean, technically speaking, all of them are, you know, top notch. In terms, for example, in color correction, color grading, uh, but other things in the series are really bad. But I mean, you can, for example, adapt or take that. You can steal that 
and apply to your project. Um, yeah, inspiration in movies is a good thing about movies. You can take, for example, ways of dealing with shots. As I explained in Making of Landmark, it's like, okay, if I don't have the time to do this shot with all this, uh, you know, um, topography, and I don't want to do this in 3D, and I have a limited time and resources, okay, let's do mud painting, let's do projections, let's, let's do as people do in cinema industry. Old style, like they did in Star Wars. Yeah, that's it. But in the end, the shot works better than maybe if, I, if we would have done that in pure 3D, everything in the end. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to be learned from cinema, and there's also much more, even much more things that can be applied from cinema to uh, your architecture uh, duties. But in general, are architects receptive to this kind of language? Because sometimes, you know, you know better than me that it's difficult to deal with some kind of clients with their 8mm cameras, their beautiful sunny skies and happy people. Uh, did you find reception? Did you find, you know, some kind of sensibility for the language that you developed in your clients? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think so. Other different thing is that not all the architectural uh, firms would go that way, which doesn't mean they are not appreciated, but uh, some of them absolutely, they like that language and some of them, they want to go that language. But the thing is that nowadays we are lucky that in animation we can choose the projects we want to get involved in. Uh, we are really selective about animation. Uh, we don't do zillions of animations yearly. Most of them, or I would say 100% or 90%, 95%, I think all of them are confidential because of you know confidentiality clauses, because they are really, really specific projects. Uh, but we want to keep being really selective with the jobs we do in animation because the way I see it is maybe it's, it would sound pretentious, but it, it's not honestly. The thing is, this is the way we work in terms of animation. In the end, it's like, if we're going to do an animation, we want to do it with this kind of approach. If you don't want to do it with this approach, I completely understand. I completely respect that, but we work this way. We, we, we can pretend to be other people when we do animations or when we do images. It's kind of the holy grail of being a visual consultant. Having to say to your client, Mr. Client, we are happy that you came to us, but what you want is not what we do. So it's better off that you find someone else to do this. No hard feelings, but it's not what we do. Yeah, absolutely. And with no, as, as you said, it's not hard feelings because we appreciate deeply that some, some companies want to uh, come with us for steals, for animations or whatever it is. But for example, when it comes to the point that we love what we have done, for example, in Landmark, and then or, and then in uh, Rebirth or what you've done with uh, lately with Somniac's Walls or whatever, and then they present you the project they want to do or the animation they're planning, the technical script is like, okay, we want like a fly-through. It's like, guys, I think we are not to understand each other. <laughs> so Yeah, sometimes it's, uh, it's strange. You know, on a logical layer of thought, you think that clients come to you because they saw what you do, what you're capable of. So they wouldn't ask you something different, but it happens all the time. Then you have to tell them, no, this is, this is not what we do. Yeah. It will work, but it doesn't actually happen. Yeah, yes, absolutely. So I see that anyway, this kind of language has had a, an impact on uh, on your work, on what you do. And back to the, the animation projects that you do commercially, can you just share with me the percentage of architecture and the percentage of anything else that is not architecture? Oh, that's a good question, man. Because there are really, really varied kind of projects. 
And as I said, I mean, we, we don't get involved in, in zillions of animations yearly because, uh, as I said, we prefer to do less but better. Uh, but I would say that architecturally speaking, they would be in, let's say, 60-40 or 70-30 or something like that. It's like this architecture, the rest is not architecture. It's maybe something related more with the video games, with some advertising thing, maybe it's some, some experimental kind of uh, material. Whatever it is, but yeah, it should be like 70, 30, 60, 40, something like that. And, and honestly, I hope that in the future, part that it's not architecture, it, it raises up even more because uh, we are doing lots of stuff in, in on those regards, or me, myself, I'm doing lots of stuff in, on those regards. So basically doing these projects for passion, Landmark, Rebirth, and some Yak Walls, they help you pivot towards other fields somehow. Yeah, I mean... To be honest, Rebirth, as you mentioned, that was not a passion project. It was uh, for the guys at Quixel, but it, it was also unreal. And basically the thing was that um, after uh, we finished Landmark, I remember I, I had and I had a good relation with uh, Teddy from Quixel, uh, which they have a really cool company. I, I mean, I love them. They're really nice people. And, uh, and the thing was that after finishing Landmark, which they supported us with their with their megascans for that project. I was invited to do a, a lecture in, in Sweden in an event. And I, I was speaking with Teddy and he told me, I'm going to go to that event also. And it would be great to meet personally uh, because also we are talking of maybe starting a project also with the people from, from Epic Games and... Uh, and it would be cool to talk about this. And basically when we got there and we meet each other and, and the guys from, from Epic Games, basically what they wanted was to do something what was the perfect mix between Landmark and the Book of the Dead that was a demo that the people from, from Quicksilver did uh, some time ago also for, for Unity, I think, uh, which is really beautiful. And the preconception of Rebirth was that. It's like, let's do something that it's a mix of these incredible films, and let's do that in real time, in Unreal. So I was hired in that project as a proper art director for the, for the project. I was the art director of that project, of Rebirth, of that cinematic. And so, as I said, obviously that paid dues landmark, because at that very first moment, we were already pivoting to other pieces, which was more related to video games or video game cinematic or virtual production. Well, it's not something that many people could pull off. I, am, I want to go back to one thing that is your works on still images, because that's what you're, you know, you started with and what probably most people in the, in the industry still know you for. Uh, what kind of lessons did you bring from the feature films to the way that you do still images? If there's any way that helped you modify some things or pipeline or art direction things, whatever it comes to your mind. I would say, as I said, I mean, uh, you can learn zillions of things from cinema. Uh, I would say that, for example, framing cameras is something you can learn a lot from cinema or how you, how you establish depth based on subjects happening in, in a frame. You can learn a lot in color grading, meaning in how color affects to your images uh, and the mood you're thinking of your images. You can learn a lot, for example, in synthesizing, because uh, as far as I see, there's a problem, not with architectural visualization, but sometimes with clients. And nowadays, I, I don't spend too much time in social media, because I'm really focusing on what I'm doing right now, which is like several productions at this point. Uh, but when I see, I have the perception that when I see 
you know, these forums or Facebooks or Instagrams where I see these uh, people, for example, of uh, Fabio and Jason, what they did in this lockdown, these proposals of doing, you know, theme-based images, which is great. It's a great idea. What I see or what I detect is that artists, architectural visualization artists, are really, really talented people, are really uh, imaginative people, are really, uh, you know, people that they have lots of uh, technical, not only technical, when I say technical, to do a 3D thing. It's a, it's a matter of culture as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you see that it's, it's there. Okay, there's a lot of culture that maybe you would see in commercial images. Maybe those people are doing with other studios, with architectural firms. You wouldn't say the same, okay? Because, so then you think, okay, maybe the problem is not the artist itself, because the artist, it has the knowledge too, that they have learned from cinema, from whatever it is, from, from photography. And maybe the client, it's like... Uh, the one that at some point maybe deviates from those things, from, from those values that are really, really important. But yes, I mean, I think that you could bring zillions of uh, inspiration from cinema, photography, uh, even sculpture. When you look at a piece of a sculpture and you see how light reacts towards a sculpture and the volume it creates, I mean, all of that you can translate into an image in a certain way. The hard task is... To find how or to to achieve that, definitely you, you you have to try that. The case study of Fabio and Jason's challenges, the D two challenges, it's really interesting because it puts the artist, the the architectural visualization artist, in a different suit. It's what you basically did at the beginning with the with the image of the month. They have no client; they can just do whatever they want freely. They have a brief, a general brief, but then everything is up to them. And that's great because then they discover maybe things of themselves they didn't know. They go gather references that they couldn't do during projects. I think the hardest thing now is how do we translate our knowledge into commercial projects and how do we convey to a client the value of this knowledge and tell them, okay, this is what we can offer and that's why you should take that into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's like in the end, Unless you're talking with something that it's really uh, egocentric as a client, you're going maybe you're going to think that you are the professional, but you are the architect professional. I mean, you are the architect. So uh, maybe maybe you are the director, but you are not the director of photography. So obviously, if a director is a good director, he would rely in a good director of photography, and then he will, you know trust him and uh, if he does not trust him it would be a failure maybe for for him for the film so what i'm trying to say is that it's your duty to uh, to not be ashamed of, of what you are when you're talking with your client it's like for me when i talk with clients i never approach the thing as uh you know this is the level in which the client is and this is the level in which i am no no i always obviously if we would talk about uh, artistic knowledge, I would say that I'm above you because I've trained myself You're for that. You are trained, yeah. That's, that's I'm true. trained for that and I'm trained on a daily basis. But obviously, we have to make that work with your vision of the project because yeah. you are above me in terms of directing the whole thing. I mean, you know your project, you know what you want to do. Leverage is the thing. I mean, everything is at the same level, me and you. So the conversation is direct. And... Uh, 
I would need to have the, the confidence to tell you what is not going to work in my opinion and what is going to work. And we can debate that. And also we can negotiate that. Okay, because at the end, it's not also the thing that's saying, okay, I am the artist, you know, and this I will put my scarf down and, and side and, and, and I will say, okay, if you don't trust what I'm telling, you, okay, go fuck yourself. No, it's not that. Absolutely. We are both parts, the client and you, we are supposed to, you know, row together in the same direction. So at some point you have to negotiate things. Because what you think it would be a perfect image, maybe for the client, it isn't completely perfect because it's lacking something that it's really important for them. And you also have to understand that. Yeah, and you know that this is another huge topic on which we could talk about for hours and hours. This of the client that wants to put themselves in the <laughs> in the suit of the art director. Because there's architects that, you know, they have this kind of very strong brand image. They want the images the way they do it. So at this point, it doesn't really make sense that you go to uh, to an external company. To be honest, I think the conversation is even more exciting when we don't talk too much about clients. Because I mean, this, these things about clients, they always exist. And as I said, it's something you, you have to arrive to a good dialogue. Uh, but also, you never have to be ashamed about your knowledge. Because you have that knowledge. And you have it in your interior. And, and I believe in a in a good, com I always believe in good communication. I mean, you, you don't have to yell to nobody. You don't have, to. if your dialogue with your client is reasonable, it would be reasonable if you have learned lots of things during the time. Uh, I think in the end, they will respect your opinion. Maybe at some point it won't be, you know, 100% your vision, but it would be a high percentage of your patient. Yeah, and it's also there's also an issue of chain of command, especially for bigger names, but that's that's another story for another yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I <laughs> wanted to close this chat with something else about inspiration because you earlier mentioned that you draw a lot of inspirations also from yeah, of course movies and video games as well. If you were to name a few, just three, three among video games, movies, uh, TV shows that influenced your vision the most. Which ones would you mention? Oh, that's the most difficult question in the world. Because you have just <laughs> three of them, you know. <laughs> oh, no, I would pick two or one or whatever it is. I don't know. I mean, basically, uh, I like to nurture myself with as many good and bad stuff I can, I can see, okay? Because good stuff is always valuable, but bad stuff is also really valuable. You can distinguish something that is good and something that is shit if you have seen shit also. So, I mean, that's a good learning in, <laughs> in shitty movies, shitty, shitty books, or, yeah. or shitty... It's a whatever. way of learning what you what you don't have to do, what you must not yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, for example, books, I mean, all classic literature for me, it's... There was a time I, I used to read a lot, read a lot, Paul Oster books. At some point also, I, I enjoyed a lot um, Woody Allen's uh, books uh, because Woody Allen is really well known from, uh, from movies, obviously, which I also admire. But his books are not so well known and I think they're really hilarious. Recently, I came across one year or something like this, this book called Atlas Shrugged from Ayn Rand, I think. Yeah, it's a really cool book also. I mean, in terms of movies, what could I say? I mean, I, I, I love cinema. There are always my sci-fi stuff, geek side, which brings me to, you know, Star Wars, to, you know, Blade Runner, Star Wars, the old ones. Um, 
I would say I, I, I love Terry Gilliam, Terry Gilliam language, a cinematographical language. I, I love everything about Terry Gilliam from since Monty Python until the last stuff that he's been doing. I mean, he's somebody that it's, has a different way of, uh, of doing things, visually and, and cinematographically speaking. I enjoyed a lot. I love a lot Tim Burton at the beginning. Not recently, but at the beginning, yes, I love it. And Akira, for example, in terms of manga, I love manga. And Otomo thing was, was amazing. In terms of, of TV shows, sorry, for example, my all-time favorites like Sopranos, also Scorsese, all the films of Scorsese. I, I love um, The Wire. Best, I mean, I think it was one of the best uh, TV shows I've ever seen. Uh, and also, recently, I came across, I didn't see that when it, it was premiered and stuff, but I enjoyed a lot. I had to say Mr. Robot. I think it's like a brilliant TV show in lots of aspects, not only in, 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 the, I mean, the story and uh, the script and the stuff, but also in terms of cinematographically speaking, in terms of colors, in terms of lots of shots that are, for me, uh, are mythical. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's in terms of movies or TV shows, books, and video games. I'm an old guy, as I said. Uh, my first uh, computer was a Spectrum 48K uh, back in the in the 80s. And since games, I played at that point from uh, a Spanish company called Dynamic. That was really a huge thing in the 80s here. Then I passed to those classic ILMs uh, or Lucasfilm, uh, LucasArts. It was LucasArts, such as, you know, Monkey Island, uh, Green Fandango. Those, those were golden, uh, as I said. And then I moved to PlayStation, so I enjoyed Hideo Kojima games, uh, all the Silent Hills games, where the first three Silent Hills or four, the first four Silent Hills for me were incredible. If you were to give an award for the best art direction in video games nowadays... Oh, nowadays, I mean, uh, bringing me to the point that there's a lot of insomniac swords that it's uh, Silent Hill. I mean, it drinks a lot from Silent Hill. So, I mean, as, I, as, as we said, everything connects to everything. I mean, movies to video games, video games to movies with architecture. And nowadays, in terms of art direction, I would say by far, I would say The Last of Us Part 2, the art direction by John Sweeney, which I admire this guy from a long time. And also Eitan Sanna, I worked there and uh, lots of artists there. In terms of that direction, it's just perfect, that game, for me. It, it, it has everything. It, it needs to have a, a video game, which is a strong story. The problem nowadays with games, in, uh, at least in my, in my opinion, is like open world games. They're cool. It's like, yeah, it's cool to, you know, to have a game that gives you like 60 plus hours of game without repeating. But at some point, I prefer a game that it's like 10 hours long. And maybe it's not going to be replayable. I don't give a fuck. The story, the, the experience, it's amazing. It's like I've been 10 hours completely breathless with, uh, with, with the script. And Last of Us, for example, part two, for me, has that. And it's like, it's not 60 hours, maybe it's 20 or 30. Yeah. It's really long, but it's like, man, this is a movie. And, and if you see the early concept art sketches that these guys did, they nailed it. It's like the game is are those sketches. And amazing, amazing. I also prefer games that are kind of railroaded, but they have a strong story behind. I haven't played The Last of Us Part 2 because I just don't like this kind of stories. 
the whole concept of the game. I know it's a great game. I have to force myself playing that. I loved God of War, the reboot of the series, also the way it was shot. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I, I also played in this lockdown. I don't have time to play nowadays games, but when I have beginning of the lockdown, I had a little bit more of time to play a little bit. And uh, I ended up Red Dead Redemption Part 2, which was an open world, but it's different. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing, an amazing game. But... Yes, also, uh, God of War, it's, it's a great uh, Death Stranding by Dave Jima is great. And I, I, I've been recently replaying with my, with my son this uh, Jedi Fallen Order by Respawn, which I think it's a really cool game because normally Star Wars games are really shitty. I don't know for what reason they screwed up so many times. Uh, and... Uh, this game for me reminded reminded me of, of this old old school Star Wars three uh, D games, the first ones and the, the Jedi Academy or Jedi whatever the fuck it is. And and this one had a really strong story and design production also. Well, we touched a lot of topics. We also even talk about video games. I hope audience is going to be interested. I'm super interested in video games. I think there's a lot to explore also for artists nowadays in video games. But anyway, I just want to thank you for your time because I know you have a busy schedule and you made room for, for this chat. So thank you, Victor. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. It's been, it's been great talking about all this stuff with you guys and and hope at least it's inspirational for somebody or somebody can learn something. I think it was inspirational for sure. Do you want to leave something with the audience? Any announcement to do or something like that, you know? Announcement? Oh, <laughs> honestly, the only announcement is that from summer after summer, I've been like uh, less visible in social media and stuff like that for several reasons. First of all, it's because I was spending too much time and effort and that thing. And I decided to, instead of that, I mean, to focus in like three productions I'm doing. The only announcement is that, yeah, I'm cooking something. A really, really kick-ass projects, but that takes time. And I'm not the kind of guy that want to... Yeah, I like to tease people, <laughs> but I want to teach people with something is uh, a degree of uh, brilliance that for me is acceptable. So the thing is that maybe you're not going to know from me in some time because I'm so immersed in the production of that stuff. It's not going to be something for one month or two months, maybe. It's going to take longer than that, but... I can assure you that it's going to be my blowing. I, I, at least I'm really, really passionate about it and I'm really and heavily uh, driven about it. I can see you're invested into this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's, not a, it's not a proper announcement. The only announcement is that I, I'm working and I'm, I'm working my ass on something really, really cool. <laughs> All right. I'm really looking forward to see what it's going to be. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I just, just one last, last thing. It's like... Um, it's a message to the community or the people. I've heard recently, recently there's a lot of people that, I mean, we are struggling with this global situation with clients, with staff, blah, blah, blah. And I would, I would like to give my, you know, my good vibrations to, to all the people and to I mean, never lose faith in what you do and uh, keep working harder day by day. And eventually things will solve by themselves at some point. When you're maybe in a, in a difficult moment, you, you think that's not going to happen, but it does happen. So I hope that all of you are safe, you, you stay you know creative, stay passionate and, and 
keep moving forward. Yeah, times are tough, but I see a lot of passion from the community at the moment. I see a lot of things happening anyway, so I'm I'm positive as well about this. So I, I'm not that worried about the the people of our community somehow. I think we'll we'll manage. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Victor, thank you again for your time. It was great. See you next time then. Bye, bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new episode every second week. If you liked this episode, help us growing and improving the show by rating and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Got a question or is there something you would like me to cover in a future episode? Write me an email at podcast at bigpicturevisual.com. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.